Mm-hmm. It's not only the Raptors squad that looks very different to when we last talked for Al, but in fact, the entire league has been making a lot more moves than expected. The NBA draft came and went without any sort of surprise to who was picked first. We saw Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman and LaMelo Ball go to their respective teams who tanked last season. But it's really the moves in free agency and various trades, whether it's sign-in trade, whether it's straight trade, whether it's uh, Presti and Oklahoma accumulating as many picks as they can. It's that sort of moves which is what we're really going to get into this episode. Because I think we expected a lot more activity to be happening in the 2021 season. But it seems this time, some teams are just saying, screw it, let's go for it a season early. Then when the big free trade merchants are coming to the fore. What do you think? Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it, Kamel. Um, I don't know what some of these teams strategies are i mean we're going to delve into the likes of houston rockets who at the moment seem to have their feet half in half out um but it it is kind of strange to me and it is a strategy that i disagree with but for some teams it seems that they're looking to just merely make the sixth seventh eighth seed of the playoff and rather than actually go for this full uh, tank and rebuild or to obviously just go all out, trade all their picks to then go for a run at the championship. They seem to have their feet half in and half out of the water. And I think a reason that may be is actually that teams realise that you just can't go from, say, 12th or 13th of the conference to a title contender within one season. So um, I think that's, that's one reason. And number two is that teams with certain young superstar players. Again, we'll talk about the Phoenix Suns, uh, hopefully at some point in this episode. They realize that they are likely to lose the likes of Devin Booker if those kind of players don't see any sort of um, positive performance or even say, uh, you know, any playoffs run, playoff runs during uh, their rookie contracts. Uh, the likes of, say, similar to what happened with New Orleans Pelicans when they lost Anthony Davis, who's simply just frustrated after a certain stage. So it seems that teams are almost trying to placate their superstar players, uh, which shows how much power I think uh, players have in this current NBA. Well, uh, before we get into analysing teams, let's go for the draft itself. We're just going to look at the Raptors for the time being and as we look at different teams, their trades, their moves, their prospects for the upcoming season, we'll refer to their draft picks because as we said at the start, there wasn't too many surprises. Anyone could sort of predict uh, where each player went weeks before the draft happened. The Raptors in particular, pick number 29 and 59, drafted Malachi Flynn and Jalen Harris. Two guards, they play very differently. Malachi Flynn is more of an undersized scorer. Uh, People have already compared him to Fred Van Vliet and have said he'll benefit greatly from the tutelage of arguably the best undersized uh, backcourt in the whole NBA. Jalen Harris, I think, was, you know, you can't really call anyone a steal at 59, but he's a player with a lot of upside, but also quite a low floor. And as good as the front office has been with late second round draft picks you know you think back to someone like Norman Powell at 42 46 that sort of area mm-hmm. 
you're not really going to expect Jalen to come to much. However, he'll have his chance because it appears that the Raptors in general this season are not going for it, but are priming themselves for a big move in 2021. The Raptors, let's go through the Raptors moves first of all. Signing Fred Van Vliet to a contract which allows them to clear space for a max player next season. Absolutely key, doing two, killing two birds with one stone there. Many feared that, oh, we'll have to get rid of Van Vliet or, you know, uh, yeah, essentially had to let him go in order to try and sign the likes of Giannis, Beal or another huge free agent next season. Yeah. But, you know, keeping, uh, I'm, I'm not going to go too deep into it because I guess we all know the importance of keeping Freddie. But it's the other moves that I want your opinion on. Firstly, we discussed last episode that anyone, and I know we did a poll on the Balling in the Six Twitter about this, everyone would keep Ibaka ahead of Gasol. And there were fears that maybe we'd keep both of them again, maybe with a new Gasol for some unknown reason. In the end, both of them have gone. Ibaka to the Clippers and Gasol to the Lakers. They've been replaced with Aaron Baines and Alex Len, which, while it has a lot of meme potential, has caused some unease within the Raptors community. Well, can these two really hold down the front court like our previous veterans have? Well, you've just given me an impossible question. Uh, especially in this first season, there is no chance that they will produce anywhere near to the same extent as those guys uh, with all that veteran experience. I actually like... Obviously, if Aaron's Baines, we kind of talked about him at the start of last season. Splash Uncle. He almost looked like he'd reinvented his game. Um, he does give that physical defence that Gasol would give as well, possibly not to the same extent. So if we're talking about who, who, which player replaces which player, I think Aaron Baines more so fits in the mould of uh, Mark Gasol. He's not, his feet don't move as well, but he does offer some, some rim protection, I guess, but more so the fact that he can also do a couple of other things. Um, he is a good passer. He's, he's a pretty decent shooter as well. I like Gasol. And Alex Len, I guess, is no not similar to Ibaka, really, but um, doesn't really have uh, much of a jump shot. He's more of like a Capella-style player, but I'm really worried about Alex Len, Camille, because even as a backup, I I don't know if he'll be up to it. I, he, he's a decent rebounder. I mean, you, do you want to know his stats? He had a particularly poor year, didn't he, at Sacramento? He regressed, so I, I, I can see here that at six points yeah. a game last year. And although he paid only 15 games, um, which I think was due to injury, uh, but I can't remember, I did read somewhere, but um, he did look like he was promising on that Atlanta team when he was there for two years as the backup centre. But um, yeah, I... I don't see him playing, say, Mark Gasol's role or Barker's role as the replacement big of the bench. But I am a bit more high on uh, Aaron Baines. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, Aaron Baines could be a sneaky good buy, of course, as well as the magical Aaron Baines fan Twitter account, which has officially made its move to the Tampa Bay Raptors now. Uh, you know, he shot 35.1% 
from three last season. Uh, it's his highest career season uh, in his NBA history. He's a good defender. I think he can provide that side of the floor, definitely. But even on the other side, 11 and a half points a game for the Phoenix Suns and almost six rebounds a game. It's not bad. And I think to give someone like Baines 30 minutes in a team which arguably, you're not building around him, of course. You're building around, you know, the guy next to him, Siaka. That's the guy you're building in. The number the, the number five in the Raptors team, all he needs to do is hold his own, really. He just needs to not almost take the thunder away from Siakam in this case. But you're right about Alex Len. I mean, even even before the Kings, I mean, at Atlanta, he was played pretty poorly. He doesn't have the same playmaking production as Gasol throughout his career. He's never averaged more than 1.2 assists per game. Uh, and he played a lot of his career with Phoenix, of course. I mean, I was very disappointed that Toronto, maybe they targeted them, but they didn't get Tristan Thompson or Nolan's Noel, who no. I feel could be excellent rim protectors and veteran prospects, maybe even on a one-year deal, maybe just to just to boost the young player, because you do need that veteran presence. And I think, um, especially in the case of Tristan Thompson, a Canadian himself, someone who's tormented the Raptors on many occasions, and of course, someone who's just going to grab those boards a lot better than Alex Valen. Could be effective, of course. Nolan's Noel on the other side has a lot of potential, and he's already shown it. And uh, uh, well, sorry, you uh, you appeared to disagree there for a minute. Yeah, no. Well, firstly, I think you hit the nail on the head with Aaron Baines. Um, the thing about players that have left that Boston system under Brad Stevens, they're just so well drilled. Um, like he is so good at setting screens, dribble handoffs, like all those kind of little plays, which. Um, you know, Raptors players have been almost renowned for doing all the little things correctly. Uh, obviously, we always talk about Lowry almost week and week out for those kind of things that he does. Baines is fantastic at that. And uh, and so, yeah, um, I'm sure that's why he can replace those aspects of Gasol's game. Gasol was also excellent just in terms of the basketball IQ, but all those little things. Um, but... Oh, and, and the other point you made there, that he's not going to take away touches from Siakam in the post. He can just uh, live out there on the perimeter. But I completely disagree with you about um, not signing, well, the uh, unwillingness of the front office to sign Tristan Thompson and Nerlens Noel, and, uh, the likes of player like that. Nerlens Noel, potentially, just because he's a bit on the younger side, but... What are you going to get with Tristan Thompson? Because if you're signing on a one-year deal, you're probably going to have to sign him for like 20, 25 million. And he's only going to hinder the likes of Siakam in the post because he can't be anywhere else on the floor while he's out there. If Siakam's on the floor as well, Tristan Thompson. So he's not really... Yeah, like I said, he's not going to help the offense. And defensively, yeah... Um, those defensive rebounds were a big problem for the team. Uh, we talked about the team's, you know, uh, deficiency in that area. Sure, he could have helped with that, but um, Alex Lenz is a good rebounder and Baines is a pretty good rebounder as well. So uh, I hope those guys will be enough. They might not be, but I think the short-term solution of somebody like a Tristan Thompson, it's, it's not going to do anything for this team who I don't see competing this year or, or being serious contenders this year, Kamal. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's it sort of, you have to balance it because you want to get that veteran presence in because you don't want to be, I mean, I'm not saying the Raptors will be a losing team without Tristan Thompson, but 
you want them to gain as much winning experience as possible. You want them to go deep through the playoffs as possible, gain that playoff experience, and then be ready and almost say, bye-bye, Tristan Thompson. You know, you've done your role. But at the same time, you know, why not develop someone like Boucher? Uh, or, of course, take a chance on players like Alex Len. So, so you're right in that aspect. And I also wanted to ask you about DeAndre Bembry. He's not a name that has come up at all in, I guess, any fans any any fans wish list really but he's yeah. a small forward six foot five 210 pounds 6.2 points a game for his career 27 percent from three really it's was difficult to see initially what he brought but if you look into the analytics of it his i know it's cliche to say he's an energy player but he does cause a lot of chaos on the defensive end in terms of pressure steals deflections defensive rebounding and, you know, for a guy who's not going to cost much, it's not a bad little addition just for depth, just to eat up those minutes, you know? You'd rather have him maybe than someone like Patrick McCaw, Stanley Johnson playing, even Hollis Jefferson playing. I, I don't know. Do, do you think it's significant at all? Or do you think it's just something to look past someone who'll get maybe five minutes a game and garbage time usually? Uh, what, do you, um, what do you think of DeAndre Bembry? I can't really add anything beyond what you said. I haven't watched, like significant film of him so I'd just be going off on what others have said about him but um, I know I, I don't know but I do think uh, Toronto is has shown that it is able to develop that mould of player before um, and with uh, you know the likes of Gasol uh, leaving the likes of Ibaka leaving these guys were still uh, guys who paid a lot of minutes for the team so um, if Aaron Baines and Alex Len don't fill a lot of those minutes, then again, uh, Benbury might have to step up, as might the rest of the team as well. We've talked about how this team is just, these players have constantly had to kind of go one up on the ladder ever since uh, Kawhi left in terms of their role and responsibility for this team. So, yeah, if anyone's capable of bringing out Benbury's best, it's going to be Nick Nurse. Yeah, well, um, we've talked about how the Raptors might not be as good this season. So, uh, Ra, why don't you talk me through some of their possible challenges in the East, specifically those teams who have made some significant trades or been very interesting. I know there's one or two teams, especially in the East, that you've been keeping your eye on in that aspect. Yeah, I've, yeah I mean, we'll have to quickly talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, won't we? Go on, of course we do, because that, that we're, we're poaching their main player next year. That, so, <laughs> yeah, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, we could talk about the Drew Holiday trade. I won't. Uh, do, you me, do you want me to? I can. What I can do is I can read out a full list of additions and, and uh, losses before you go into it, just for context. Uh yeah, go for it. Great. So they added Drew Holiday, DJ Augustine, Bobby Portis, Brian Forbes, and Tory Craig. They lost Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, Wesley Matthews, Robin Lopez, Sterling Brown, Orsan Ilyasova, and Marvin Williams, and they re-signed Pat Connaughton. Yeah. Dissect that, please. <laughs> yeah. Of I mean, uh, the losses of the guards, again, aren't terrible because you've just got an upgrade in Drew Holiday. I don't think Bledsoe was the point card to lead that team. To and even DJ. And even DJ is pretty clutch. He's proved to be pretty clutch in the playoffs before. So. Yeah. 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 Um, and when it comes to Drew Holiday, me and Kamal actually talked about this while we are out cycling in the uh, hinterlands of London. But. Ooh. Uh, we did say that uh, although this is this was a must-make move for them, I, I think 
the Pelicans fleeced them knowing that they knew that they were throwing everything in the kitchen sink in order to try and uh, entice Giannis to stay. So for the number of picks it was, it certainly wasn't worth it. And I do think they could have gotten for fewer draft picks or some other type of like material, pay material. But I do think they massively overpaid. And, you know, you have to hope for them that doesn't doesn't bite them in the backside, especially as some of those picks are pick swaps that are quite a few years down the line. So we could be looking at this trade as a uh, Brooklyn-Boston trade in years to come where the Pelicans have absolutely fleeced them. Um, but anyway, it's a move that they needed to make. Uh, do you have anything to add there, Kuhn? Um, No, I mean, I think obviously the Drew Holiday trade is so, so massive. Um, especially in the playoffs because that's where the Bucks have struggled you know they're going to come top seed probably again but it's it's the playoffs it's that clutch factor when they can't necessarily look to Giannis and you know in the paint especially is that's what they're going to rely and you know they've got like, even uh, three point shooters like Brian Forbes uh, even yeah, Tory Craig Tory Craig can knock yeah Tory Craig can knock down a couple so can DJ Augustine so I think I think it's been a good good off season uh, for Milwaukee, I think a lot of so-called analysts and experts are underrating this off-season. But you know, they have got to support Giannis because I know we discussed this as well uh, outside of the podcast. Milwaukee are never going to have a player, right? They're a small market team. They're a good franchise, but they're a small market team, and it's tough to keep such an amazing player, literally one of the top three players in the league for this long so he's got to support them this is their yeah. might be their last shot and if even if they don't win win this year if they can show that they've got ambition you know the front office shows that they're willing to make these moves for the sake of Giannis that only adds to him staying even if it does sacrifice their long term future yeah um, well put Kim. Um another team I wanted to move on to if we're going to move past the Bucks please is um the Charlotte Hornets because Michael Jordan uh, as a general manager um, yeah yeah, I'm not sure what this man is thinking Um, there was a period where this team was clogged up with power forwards and centres I think this was a couple of years ago when they had the likes of um, Biombo Kaminsky um well, else comes to mind, Marvin Williams. They just had a lot of decent power forwards and centers. And they also had uh, Nicholas Batum, who I guess is now more so a power forward uh, just due to his age and his speed. He's gone, um, but yeah. Yeah, and he's gone, uh, which I was going to mention. But so he's gone. A lot of these bigger players have gone. And now it seems like they have the exact opposite issue. Uh, now they, it seems like they've got four or five players who players kind of like the facilitator for the team so um, of course I'm talking about the sign and trade for Gordon Hayward which was a horrific deal that will bite them in the arse because uh, there's even if Hayward was to stay healthy all throughout that contract he still wouldn't be worth the money that they gave him I, I don't think I even even if he recaptures okay if he recaptures his Utah form he might just be worth his contract because he was excellent in Utah but you have to think he's likely going to face at least minor injury setbacks during that time. And so you have to ask yourself, is Gordon Hayward going to be your franchise player to win you a championship? No. 
So why are you throwing him that kind of money? It seems bizarre to me, but with Gordon Hayward, he took on more of a facilitator role with the Celtics last year with the wing depth that they had. So potentially, MJ's thinking to himself, look, he's going to be the star wing for this team. So uh, he doesn't need to take that role anymore. But say even if he doesn't take the facilitator role, now you've drafted Lamelo Ball, who is going to be competing for time with Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham. I simply don't understand it. The only other team who had this much guard depth in the past couple of years has really been, you know, that Houston team when they had, um, well, and, well, they s- still have, of course, Westbrook, Harden, and um, Eric Gordon, but that trio looks to, it looks like those guys aren't going to be together for much longer. But even before that, when they had CP3, uh, Gordon, and James Harden, that was like a, a trio of excellent players. And I, even that for me didn't work. They didn't have the balance in that roster. We've kind of seen that from the results that that team got. Um, so I don't really know what MJ's doing. No, I mean, it's it's an absolutely absurd, absurd off-season. Because you're right. You mentioned at the start of the episode, teams going for the eighth seed and the seventh seed. But I'm not really sure where Charlotte are going. Because they get rid of young quality like Dwayne Bacon and Hanan Gomez. Um, okay, Hanan Gomez less so, but someone like Dwayne Bacon, who was one of the I guess, rare bright spots in the Hornets team last season. And then they just signed Hayward to a ridiculous, ridiculous contract, um, which will cost them, which it will cost them for the next four years. I mean, I don't know. He's just going there for a paycheck, really. He's, uh, I think by the time he finishes his deal, he'll be 33. He'll be getting paid $30 million as a 33-year-old. And not a great 33-year-old at that aspect. You know, and, and and all for what? 30, 35 wins, maybe, in the East they'll get this season? I just have no clue. Maybe Jordan just wants the playoffs that badly that he has broke the bank and used all the spare money he can on one of the most ridiculous, damaging, long-term agreements this off-season. But what I want to know is... Who had a worse off-season? The Hornets or the Pistons? I'm so surprised you brought the Pistons up. Um, they, they, I've got a soft spot for the Pistons. I mean, I mean, yeah, they did lose uh, Christian Wood. Um, but then we'll, we'll have to see what kind of impact he will actually have. Um, because it was that short spell of games where he just went ballistic. Um they added they added countless number of centers to their team. They signed Jeremy Grant to a ridiculous they lost Luke contract. Lost Luke Kennard, oh, wow. Galloway, Brett, Bruce Brown. They got a good pick. They got a good draft pick, Killian Hayes. But overall, they just absolutely overloaded their front court. And again, like Charlotte, what is their goal this season? They've got a remember their coach as well. Raptors fans will know the limitations of their coach Dwayne Casey. It's this team. Is this a roster they're building that will just play lockdown defense and try and go back to the teams of distant teams of 0304? Yeah. What, what's their goal? What's their goal? Um, it, it, obviously, it just depends on Blake Griffin, doesn't it? I mean, mm. they probably saw Luke Kennard and thought to themselves, because Luke Kennard was kind of the second option for that team last year. And we'll maybe talk about the Clippers because I think he is actually an excellent, excellent addition for them. But. Um, Maybe they saw him and thought, you know, he's not good enough to be a second option. Whereas Jeremy Grant does have that kind of potential. I really do think he does because he was given an increased role with the Nuggets this year. And he he was phenomenal, uh, to say the least. Uh, So I would like to see him as 
potentially even a primary scorer for that team. Again, we'll have to look at how healthy Griffin stays. Um, so I think good for him. I'm very happy for him that he has that opportunity. But yeah, mate, I t- maybe they'll get the ninth or tenth seed. It does depend on what happens with Griffin because, of course, pre-injury Griffin, which is now a long time back, but this was a guy who was looking to become actually a top 10 player in the league, in my opinion, because he was just adding different uh, elements to his game. He was becoming more of an outside threat. He was becoming more of a facilitator and a leader, but I just don't, I, I don't know about his, you know, health situation. I'm not his fucking, uh, his personal doctor. So this no, could I mean, be a very good off season for them, Kamel. You never know. Well, I wait to see. I, I'm just, I'm just waiting. Are they going to give maybe five? They can afford to probably give five minutes to every centre <laughs> that they have, and still, still maintain a full backcourt for the entire season, which is absurd. But you, you mentioned Luke Kennard going to the Clippers. There, of course, he'll probably replace uh, Landry Shamet, and Serge Ibaka will replace the loss of Montrezl Harrell. Um, what do you think of the Clippers' off season? They have an interesting uh, demeanour to them because, of course, they fell to the Nuggets last season and their playoff credentials of course suddenly evaporated you felt they needed a couple of big signings and you know you look on paper Ibaka and Kennard unnecessarily blockbuster players to bring into a franchise but they can definitely add something especially in the later rounds of the playoffs would you say um well the third signing you did mention there is Nicholas Batum as well of course um which, which, you know, he's one of those players like uh, Evan Fournier in the Magic. Um, those guys have been producing for like the past seven or eight years, but just because of the team they're on and the position their teams have been in, they literally have got zero spotlight because uh, Batum is a very, very solid player. I think he's the type of player that the Clippers need in terms of, you know, mentality and leadership because he's just not an idiot, frankly. He's not one of these yappers. He just gets the job done. The only thing I can say for him is, yeah, his defense is very good, but he probably needs to play the four. And I wouldn't actually mind him starting potentially at the four position. They were like starting the likes of Jermichael Green uh, and that. Um, so he's definitely an upgrade on that. Uh, obviously, Ibaka starting a center for them, I think, over Zubac, who can then maybe come off the bench. I mean, that's excellent for that team. Um, so when they lost Trez initially, I thought, ah. Oh, it looks like this off-season's kind of gone down the drain for them. But yeah, like I said with Luke Kennard as well, a 15-point-per-game scorer who's now going to be coming off the bench, I think it's going to just allow him to actually be a, a more efficient because uh, he's not going to have to try and create his own shot, which he was given some of that responsibility with Detroit. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I actually do think they were a good addition because... The issue for this team, I don't think, was talent. It was, again, more so leadership. And so the likes of Ibaka, I think Ibaka is just a winner. He plays winning basketball. And um, Nicholas Batum as well, just with his vet experience and kind of the demeanour I've seen of him on the court. Um, I do like both of those guys, especially. Well, I have nothing really to add to that. And um, I just want to say, before we probably take an overall look at the Raptors roster, at least, going into next season, assuming, of course, there's no huge moves coming. We've discussed two of the worst franchises and a couple of couple of franchises have had good off-seasons. Who do you think has been the best? I mean, there's a few contenders here. It could be Portland, could be Oklahoma, could be even Dallas. 
uh, who, do you, who do you think's really stepped it up and exceeded expectations when it comes uh, to off-season think, moves? Yeah, Phoenix. I'll put Phoenix in, in there as well. But uh, for me, by far and away the best off-season is uh, does come from the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, and that's because they somehow managed to get better. I don't understand how they did it because when I saw, you know, who they, who was um, becoming free agents for them, like the likes of Honda, I just thought, ah, who can they really sign with the amount of money they have uh, to, you know, improve that roster? But uh, they somehow managed to do it, Camille. If you want to talk through some of the moves. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, let's go through it. They added Harold, Wesley Matthews, of course, veteran, excellent scorers, both of them, Dennis Schroeder, who was probably contender for six man of the year last year and Marc Gasol who while a bit washed in the playoffs is a phenomenal playmaking centre to do this they had to offset Danny Green playoff flop Rajan Rondo great in the playoffs but a bit past his prime Javal McGee played his role every badly good defender but again an expendable guard and Dwight Howard who you know I believe is offset by the addition of Marc Gasol so you're right you know a championship team being made better wow this could be and unfortunately, a... Unfortunately, uh, um, just to mention, they also managed to re-sign KCP, which is also a big part of it. Oh, yeah, of course, huge. Absolutely huge. Uh, another, you know, excellent defensive guard signing can also explode on the other end of the floor. Uh, yeah, they, they, I mean, I, I wasn't considering Lakers in my top choice. I was actually going for OKC just because of how they built for the future. Okay. You know, 18 firsts between now and 2027. Absurd from Sam Presti. And of course, they also added veteran presence like Al Horford, like George Hill to their, like Trevor Ariza. Um, and you know, while they won't be competing this season, they're going to build around Shy, Lou Dort, uh, Darius Baisley, those kind of players backed up with veteran presence. So I think they've had an excellent offseason. I think they're well built for the future. And I think this sets them to compete at least for the next decade. So it's okay. It's, uh, it's okay. See for me. Yeah, and I'm really glad you mentioned Thornton there as well. Just with the uh, series he had against Houston, he did oh, yeah. great there. Huge, huge. I remember one huge triple that he hit, uh, if, I'm, uh, if I'm correct, uh, in an important game against Houston. So he's, he's done it in his rookie season in the playoffs already. That's what the, exactly what a team like OKC needs, really. Mm-hmm. Composure in the playoffs. Um, yeah. Great. Well, to finish off, uh, we're just going to go right back to where we started. It's the Raptors depth chart for the rest of the year of course we are going to do some previews before the season starts and season starting very soon actually so we better hurry up with that but essentially we're running with a very similar team to last year four of the five starters right Kyle Lowry Van Vliet OG and Siakam instead of Ibaka it'll be Aaron Baines now it's the second and third units where you sort of start to break it down a bit it's going to be Malachi Flynn most likely, should he impress in training camp in preseason. Undersized guard, he's going to be paired up with Terrence Davis, who I believe sources say was will be reluctantly signed by the Raptors, despite his off-season activities, should we say. Yeah. Um, we'll say no further. Rural, as a lawyer, you know best. Uh, to <laughs> further on this. Um, Norman Powell could be an interesting prospect to take the three. He could lead that second unit almost in um, next season take the three position and then we'll see pr- probably a f- big, bigger front court right? two seven footers Chris Boucher and Alex Lent leading the rebounding 
and of course, back, and, uh, sorry, go on. No, no, I had nothing to say, mate. Oh, sorry, so I was, uh, and probably 30, I mean, you've got players coming back like O'Shea Brissett, who of course we did a special episode on last season. DeAndre Bembry, again, we've discussed it. Patrick, Patrick McCaw and Stanley Johnson, who probably Nick Nurse will have to reluctantly play. I believe they both exercised their player options at the end of last season. And it would be very strange if the Raptors did resign them. Overall, what are you looking at? I mean, we may as well make this our Raptors preview episode almost. What are you looking at for the Raptors this year in terms of seed, in terms of games won, and in terms of how far they'll progress in the playoffs? I'll just go quickly first. I'm going to say they're going to come fourth. They're going to win. How many games is it? 72 games, isn't it? Yeah. 72 games, let's say 40 wins, 40 to 45 wins, and let's say same as this year, Eastern Conference semifinals. Yeah. Bold. It's kind of the ceiling. It's kind of the ceiling. It's the ceiling because, you know, this is a team that's now, sorry, a conference that's now added a very competitive Brooklyn team, a Atlanta team that could potentially be challenging for those spots. Indiana teams didn't get that. Indiana teams didn't get particularly worse. Sixes, you wouldn't imagine, would get much worse. Um, so, the, yeah, I'm, I think regular season, four might be okay, you know, because this is just, just does seem like a very good regular season team. Um, but in, when it comes to the off season, or sorry, the playoffs, I don't see them going past the first round. If they're paying anyone like that, like even the Philadelphia Sense Sixers, um, it's just, it's brought with, yeah, you see, I'm lost for words, but it's what I saw from um, our so called star players, Siakam, in the playoffs. Like, it, it was so disappointing to me that I'll have to see where his mind's at at the start of the season. So, whether he'll be playing with the same kind of intensity and aggression that we were used to seeing from him last season. I think it completely depends on where his headspace is at. Yeah, no, that's completely right. And Raul, we're going to end with that. We're going to give the listeners a nice, concise, under-40-minute episode. Uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. I actually can't believe how soon the NBA season will arrive. I was actually... We were recording this, of course, on December 1st. And... <laughs> Uh, you know, three weeks. It's three weeks, and then we're back in it again. You know, barely, barely at an off season. I can't imagine what the players are doing, what the likes of LeBron is doing to try and look after his body for the next few years. But best of luck to all of them. Yeah, man. It's going to be good. All right, we'll be back with a couple of preview episodes. For now, though, keep safe. Catch you all next time. <laughs>